Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet. Welcome everybody to East Meets West here on Suplex Retreat. Uh, I am one of your hosts, Scott McLeod, joined as I am always as we look at New Japan and all the goings on happening over there. As a month where we're looking at a war between former stalemates of Los Ingobernables de Japón, we have the leader in the SSR draft of Los Ingobernables de Steny, hope I said that right, his grandmate Robbie. Good evening, and yeah, you, you got you got the pronunciation right. And yeah, I mean, New Japan is went into overdrive. We have got a busy, busy month ahead of us. Oh yeah, definitely. Because like we thought, oh, we're done here, but like a couple of days after we're releasing this, New Japan Road is starting, and then within a week of that finish, that tour finishing, the G One starting, it's just all go all the bloody time, but. Where we found a way how we're going to like handle it, and you're all probably listening to this. If you're listening to the dates coming out, you're hearing us on a Tuesday. But uh, going forward, we should remind you that you've probably seen the announcement that went up yesterday on social media on our social media channels uh, at Suplex, which is on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And you can join our community page. That's where you'll see announcements like the ones we made, or uh, the change in scheduling for the podcast where. A Tuesday would be where we hear our new feature shows, like the well, ones we would usually release on the main feed on a Thursday when they'd be moved to a Tuesday. And on Thursday, we're basically having a kind of a ESSR Central, I think it's been called now, where we're basically looking at the news, everything that's going on in the world, mainly of WWE and AEW, where, so it means shows like the Raw Report, anything back, anyway, back to the wrestling. And Wednesday Night Wars are all kind of being wrapped up from the extra feed and will be basically... The goings on the weekly TV will be covered on that show. East meets West, whenever we do it, we're aiming to have them on a Sunday. We're kind of alternating between us and the other monthly content we're here, like uh, Albert Gagratz, when eventually the Indies start back up again on a more full-time basis. I know it's a lot of admin, but like it's just how things are happening now. We're kind of settling into this new gear. Uh, and like us trying to schedule this, on a, this podcast on a Sunday, can be easier said than done, Grant, depending on what the New Japan schedule is going to be. Oh, yeah, well, New Japan likes to keep us. I mean, as at this point today, when we're planning to record, they just dropped the last minute announcement on us, which perfect timing <laughs> works <laughs> out. Yeah, uh, we'll, we'll talk about that in a second. I saw some mentioned uh, basically a lot of shows from Suplex Rejects are basically either being discontinued as they'll be covered on Suplex. Uh, retreat Central or they will be kind of moved to the main feed. For instance, Saturday Draft Live will continue every Saturday on the main Eat Sleep Suplex Retreat feed and we've got some uh, stuff about how you the listeners can kind of get involved in our draft which we'll talk about this coming Saturday. 
So that's going to continue. We're still bringing you great content every single week. We're just uh, shaking things up a bit. But Grant, we uh, we had to get this episode out soon as because you know it's all gold just coming off the the summer struggle tour. We're he- getting ready for a new for the G1 climax. We had the KOPW tournament end, and we had that tournament for the six man titles that we talked about in the last episode. Where we're going to talk later about the finals of the New Japan Cup USA. God, New Japan are just tournament death because the New Japan Road the announcement was made. We're going to have new junior heavyweight tag team champions because uh, Roppongi 3K have had to vacate the titles due to Yo's injury. Yeah, I mean, never a good thing to see someone having to to vacate the title like that. But yet we've got an exciting four-team tournament across multiple nights in the New Japan Road Tour. And some of the teams are actually really, really good interests. Mm-hmm. It's uh, the New Japan Road Tour is going to be going from the third of September up until the eleventh, which is my birthday, uh, and they're they're not going to be running every day, but uh, from the fifth up until the eleventh, they're going to be running a four-team tournament, and each team will be facing each other at least one. So basically, I don't think we're getting the Super J Tag League this year. So I think this is basically our equivalent of it this year. So okay, a junior tag tournament. We have four teams organising each other at least once in this. Eventually, we're going to have a two-on-two final on the last day of New Japan Road. The four teams announced are Master Wato, Team Motoguchi. We have Kanemaru and Desperado, represents Tsukugan, former tie champs themselves. We have Hiromu, teaming with Bushi, the two junior representatives of LIG, now that Shingo's basically graduated up to heavyweight uh, since he's won the Never title. And we have... Uh, Taiji Ishimori and Gedo representing Bullet Club. Uh, what, are you, what immediately stands out to you when you hear these four teams are announced for this tournament? I think the, the ones that stand out to me is you've got one very fully established team who has been running for a long time and you've got one more team who's kind of done a bit of stuff in the past and then you've got two completely pretty much new teams. So it's, mm-hmm. it, keeps, it keeps it an interesting playing field because they've got possible who you'd see as your defined favourites but there could be a few surprises with especially Watto being new back from excursion he's he's still early days mm-hmm. yeah he'll be one to watch out for because Bushi and Hiromu have team before in the junior tag scene but uh, Bushi has won tag, the junior tag belts with Shango very briefly they had a short run in 2019 uh, to me, if I had to like, kind of predict who the two teams would be in the final, I think it would maybe be uh, Karamaro Desperado against Wato and Toguchi. Because, you know, we'll talk about uh, when we get to Jingu Stadium, we had that match between Wato and Karamaro. Maybe this is a way to kind of continue their little rivalry, kind of the issues that Wato has had with Suzuki-kun. And it'd basically be a case of like a former a team that was once the junior tag champs against a team consisting of a Still, a guy who's still being established, and Tukuchi, a decorated junior heavyweight, you know, multiple time tag champ, alongside likes of Ricochet and uh, Fergal Devitt, now Finn Balor. Yeah, I mean, definitely. You look at the look at the team of Tukuchi and Wato. Um, Wato is fresh from excursion. He's had the he got he had his first win against Doki, but then he got beat by Can. We'll get onto Kanemaru's thing with it with him, but Wato is definitely sort of. He's fresh, he's interesting, people are talking about him. Taguchi, he's a six-time junior tag jump. 
and he can still put on the big matches when it's when it's needed, and this this could be a great opportunity for him. Mm-hmm. Definitely, I do like the idea of maybe featuring uh, Watto and kind of the the tag scene in the junior division before making him a full fledged kind of single star, basically kind of easing him back into this new grandmaster gimmick because he's fresh off excursion. Uh, and we'll, I think looking at the New Japan Road Tour, a lot of the multi man tag matches seem very much business as usual, very similar matches that we would have seen during the Summer Struggle Tour. Uh, I think the main hook for me looking at these shows is probably going to be tuning in to see the matches in this tournament and uh, also the finals. We're going to have the final match on the 11th as well as uh, a never six-man tag team title defence where Yoshihashi, uh, Goto and Ishii are going to defend the tag titles and basically a rematch of the tournament final where they won them will be taking on the same team Toriano, Sho and Okada uh, I'm glad I was actually going to bring up that hope that these titles will be defended on the New Japan Road and uh, it's good to see that like, I imagine this will be the main event because it's got Okada involved in it uh, but I'm glad that we're going to see the new the six man titles basically actually being defended after so long basically not seeing them because obviously evil leaving while still being one third of the champs. Yeah, I mean the six man like they the, when they first had the match back in the finals, it was actually a fantastic match. It really was. So to get a re, a, a rematch on the go, um, especially show is is looking to make a name for himself now that he's gonna to have to go on his own for what must be the foreseeable future. It sounds like Yo isn't going to be coming back anytime soon. Mm-hmm. Yano and Okada will get onto them soon enough. A little bit of story there. I mean this <laughs> This could be Okada's like first non-IWGP heavyweight championship, which would be quite an interesting point. But then, is it going to come at the expense of Yoshihashi getting his first ever championship after 12 years? Mm-hmm, that's something to consider. Like, usually, you would say, like, oh, they had the story of Yoshihashi getting his first title, and like, they wouldn't have him lose it in the first defence, but the never tag belts and the never singles belt itself aren't strangers to quick title changes so you know you can never really put it past them it's really hard to predict the outcome of a never title match whether it's the tag or the uh, the singles title um yeah because it's sad that uh you was like she has been forced to give up his half of the tag belts because of you's injury and because like there is quite a longer period between title defenses uh before a title is stripped from somebody in New Japan as opposed to other promotions, but like they said on their website that basically because they don't have a time frame of when you'll be back, they felt it's probably best if we just took the tag belt from them now rather than basically having people wait around in a bench only to inevitably have them stripped. So I think basically it's like we need, it's probably best because we can figure out what to do with Show on his own and maybe pushing him more again as a singles competitor, maybe giving him a shot at the junior heavyweight title uh, to kind of like bridge the gap before Yo comes back. Yeah, I mean, I think I think they've got to think long term and, you know, we're hitting September. We're, we're literally pretty much we're only three months from when the Dome normally is. So they generally want to make sure that every title is available to be defended on the Dome show where possible. And the junior heavyweight tag belts are always one of them. So it, it makes sense that they don't want to sort of have themselves in a position at the last minute before the Dome to try and force something in when they could put new tag champs now and set a story in place that could start building for the next few months. 
Yeah, because major like shows, especially uh, Wrestle Kingdom, often one of the first matches you'll see is the junior tag belts because they're always reliable to put on a, a hall opener and get the crowd to set the template for what you're going to see in the rest of the show. And also they probably don't want to lose that. And also they don't want, basically, because if shows going around with just one half of the tag belts, it might probably limit limit him and what he can really do uh, as a singles guy while waiting for Yoti to come back because you kind of knew while you still won half the tag champs, he probably wasn't going to beat Shingo in their match. Whereas now if he goes up for the junior heavyweight championship, kind of a case of you never know what might happen. They might just give him a really short, like month-long reign just kind of test the waters, see what he can do as a singles guy. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be an interesting because Show has really... He's he's proven himself already with the, like some of those big matches like Shingo and stuff, and I, I really think he is going to he's going to he's a future junior heavyweight champ to me singles wise. I definitely see that for him in the horizon. Mm-hmm. And what's sad is uh, I worry about Yo because the show's getting all this time almost by accident because obviously they weren't planning. Nobody can't plan for someone getting injured, but he's getting all this time to showcase himself as a singles guy. And it's probably going to make people look at him as more of a star when Everpongi 3K inevitably break up uh, when he goes out on his own. Whereas Yo, people aren't going to think of Yo when he's on his own because obviously he's basically been off like on the shelf for such a long time. Yeah, it's definitely it's, it is one of the worst things to happen. The timing of it right now as well because it would have been great to see them continue a run and set up some of these some of these teams that have gotten the tournament would have been great competition for them but it's I'm, I'm happy to see Show going in that six man tag I think that's going to be a brilliant match mm-hmm. yeah, I'll, I'll come back to some thoughts I have about Taiji Shimori being in the tournament uh, later on but we'll move over from Japan to the US where New Japan Strong is well going strong really because they've been putting on some good shows recently and we had the finals of the New Japan Cup USA where Kenta came out victorious over David Finlay where he got his little trophy and his, uh, his big red lunchbox which uh, guarantees him a shot at John Moxley for the US title. Basically, he's got a similar right to challenge briefcase that you would give them in the G1 that he is going to have to defend. Uh, what were your thoughts on Kenta versus David Finlay as a final? Because I think they did a good job of not making it a seemingly predictable final. They gave uh, David Finley a lot of opportunities to show that he could potentially pull out the victory. Yeah, it wasn't the final that I predicted, but it was a very enjoyable match. And Finley is—he's very capable. He's sometimes I feel he's been lost in the shuffle over the years. He's kind of like he's always been sitting in the background with Juice and really underappreciated because he's a solid worker. Um, Unfortunately, I had that long spell out injury, but coming back in, making it to the final, and it was a great match with Kenta. They really went for it. Mm-hmm. I don't think this is the final everyone could have predicted. Uh, Kenta was always a favourite, but I don't think this is who people would have thought he would have been going up against. And I think the big story of this was Kenta's experience is what won it for him. Because like, they had the commentator saying, like, oh, what you don't want to do is leave your chest exposed for Kenta. And just as I say that, he was finally accidentally these deep chest pose and he's caught with some really hard kicks from Kenta. And what I also liked was kind of a bit of storytelling where Kenta went for the same like 
Blow, small package finish that he got Jeff Cole, but uh, David Finley obviously watched that match and uh, managed to kick out. So I thought it was a nice spot where it looked like Kent was going to steal another another victory. Yeah, that was really clever because I like that. I was like, they're not going to have him win the cup with such a dirty move, surely. It was absolutely, it was just, a, it's really clever storytelling from Japan, from New Japan. And I mean, it it went exactly when I saw that match. I was like, it would be nice to see Finley win. But it went exactly how I thought it would. Kent I did have the experience edge, albeit with that dodgy Owen Wilson haircut. <laughs> oh, I, I can't, I can't unsee it now that you've mentioned it. Uh, I could, I could have definitely seen him winning in that fashion. You know, it's a very much a, a bullet club style way to win. I do think it was a great decision, Kent, because before the pandemic, everything we last saw Kent. Uh, failing to capture the double gold from Naito. So I think it was kind of a, a good way to re-establish him as a credible title contender in New Japan. And kind of callbacks there where you initially joined Bullet Club where you had him kind of doing the Shabbat special almost where he locked in kind of the sleeper hold and then the running kick, which is straight out of Shibata's uh, playbook before hitting the go to sleep. And that's how Kenta picked up the victory and uh, some, uh, some shots thrown by Kenta basically getting on the mic and saying, well, where's John Moxley? Where has he been? Yeah, I love that you called out Moxley, but I think, what, I'm, pr- I'm probably sure this is what excited both of us, is what happened after the win. Mm-hmm. When an angry Jeff Cobb came out to try and absolutely destroy Kenta because he was absolutely fucking raging. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, you would be if like Kenta did what he did to Jeff Cobb, like he said, the Lobo small package to get by Jeff Cobb in the semi-finals of the tournament. Obviously, Cobb's feeling robbed, and they did say that Kenta will have to defend that uh, briefcase in the meantime before getting to the opportunity, before they can get John Moxley back. And uh, what's nice is we've got Fighting Spirit unleashed on the 4th and 11th uh, of September, big uh, New Japan Strong USA shows. And what's nice is New Japan are being overly generous to me on my birthday as my birthday's on the 11th. And not only am I getting the finals of the uh, the Junior Heavyweight Tag Tournament and a six-man title match, I'm also getting to see a main event of Jeff Cobb versus Kenta for that briefcase. That briefcase is going to be on the line. Uh, like, I can't really ask for more. Yeah, that, that match is going to be it's a proper grudge match and it will be interesting to see sort of the first time that they've done this, the, the whole cup briefcase thing with the US title will Cobb pick up the victory or will Kenta get another win and will he do it clean this time? That's the other big question Yeah, I somehow doubt that Kenta will win by uh, clean methods just think it depends how long it's going to be until they can get Moxley back how many times we see Kenta defend it, uh, this briefcase because I would like to see him defend it maybe against some guys on the other side of the bracket that he didn't get to face like maybe Brody King or or someone like that, or maybe we can get a rematch with Finlay. Who knows? But it'd be very interesting to see what happens with that briefcase. You know, part of me in this weird dream fantasy booking realm of my brain really wishes they, were, they could find a way to get Kent to show up at All Out and get involved in Moxley's match there, and then can basically interweave the storylines that are going on in Japan and AEW. But uh, I think I'm I think I'm well. Living in more of a fantasy world with that idea. Yeah, I mean, I, I know that there was a, 
apparently there was an interview with Moxley, Moxley recently and they confirmed that he isn't actually under contract with New Japan anymore. So how that'll work with the US title, I, I reckon it's going to be, a, I reckon it'll be the dome for that match. I've got a feeling because they, they won't, AEW won't let Moxley wrestle for New Japan and US soil. I've made that clear before. You think they'd, uh, they'd be told off that long? I reckon they might hold off that long. Otherwise, unless they can get another big big one in, it's going to come down to the travel restrictions, I think, as well with Japan. If they can get them in sooner. And I know that it would I know that it would be quite interesting doing the G one again and it wouldn't be a bad idea to see if the travel allows it, does Moxley get into the G one and then has a few matches and then doesn't qualify for the finals, but on the finals night they could have Moxley Kenta then. And that would be a great way to do it. I'd get us it sooner. Mm-hmm. I'm this because I asked this because well, I think they want the US sale to kind of be the figurehead of New Japan Strong as part of the New Japan of America brand. And obviously the longer you wait to have the US champion come back, like I think the longer uh, it's more likely that people might lose interest in the match, even though it's like kind of a moxley, it's a dream match. And like you can only have Kenta go along with the briefcase defending it for so long before you inevitably just like have to do the match. And I have a feeling if like the AEW thing is going to be an issue with Moxley having to over to Japan, they might just have him come in and drop it to Kenta just so they can have the US title prominently featured on your Japan programming again. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I get the feeling that Moxley's next defence will be his last. I get the feeling that they do. They want to get the belt onto Kenta and set it, set it up so that they have that figurehead on the US show and it makes sense the biggest issue we've got right now is how the travel allows it, what other things are in place but we can only hope we get it sooner um, it's not unheard of for them to hold on the briefcase for that long when you think normally the G1 ends around about now and usually that, that briefcase gets held on to for about three months mm-hmm. yeah yeah uh... I would like to see Kent uh, as US champion because there's quite a lot of Bullet Club representation on New Japan Strong. I think that makes sense given that a lot of the like cross like appeal over in the US for New Japan, a lot of it comes from Bullet Club, at least it did uh, back uh, a few years ago when New Japan really started breaking out internationally again uh, with Bullet Club and the Elite and everything like that. Uh, as I said, on the 11th, the main event of the second day of Fighting Spirit Unleashed will be Kenta versus Jeff Cobb. That is the only match as of right now that is confirmed for the 11th. They have confirmed a couple of matches for the first night on the 4th of September. And that comes as a result of a big tag match they had on the same night as the finals of the New Japan Cup USA. We had Joe White and Chase Owens losing to the ROH team of Flip Gordon and Brody King. But what was interesting is after the match, Hikaleo the, uh, the brother of the Grills of Destiny made his return, taking out Brody King and Flip Gordon, which means on the 4th we're going to have two very special singles matches. Uh, Jay White versus Flip Gordon and Ticaleo versus Brody King. Uh, yeah, I'm sure you're happy to see Gordon and King fight, fighting in, uh, in tag action on New Japan Strong, but what were your thoughts when Ticaleo came in to set up these matches? But that was a big surprise. I did not even think the, the thought never even entertained my head to think that Hikaleo was 
was going to interfere like I knew he was back in America with everything going on but I didn't expect to see him come back and I mean what a, what a hell of a statement he made going straight for Brody King like let's go for the biggest guy here <laughs> Yeah because he, he spent some time away he's been in the, the UK for a while because I remember uh, I believe Discovery it was him and El Fantasmo versus the 9-9 at Discovery Wrestling so he'd been spending in the UK kind of on his excursion but also I think that had to be cut short he had to come back to the US with everything that was going on and I think it's good to have him come in here because like along with his brothers and the other members of Boat Club they can really present him as this dominant monster and like you said it's, he's going after Brody King who commentary's been putting, off, putting, up, putting over very strongly because Kevin Kelly keeps going on about how scared he is of Brody King so basically you have the the, one of the toughest guys on New Japan Strong going against one of the biggest so like I think that could be a very solid match I'll probably show still of that show although I think that uh, on the fourth Jay White v Flipborn is more likely to main event the show Yeah I mean looking at the time limits on the matches Brody King Hikuleo's got a 15 minute time limit but White and Gordon's got a 30 minute time limit so Hikuleo and Brody King don't expect it to go long but expect it to be hard hitting these two are going to absolutely batter lumps out of each other. I mean, the 15 minutes sailing on them, I wouldn't be surprised if they had them go the full 15 minutes and end in a draw, but like they're still brawling after the match. Can I set a stage for another match where they have a longer time limit? Like maybe just making this the first of a few matches against them? Because like, I think it's around the time you really should start building feuds within this uh, USA brand if it's going to become a regular feature. Yeah, and I want them to get as much mileage out of it while they can because I don't know what's going to happen with Ring of Honor starting to get back into action as well. Is it going to have an impact where some of these guys won't be able to appear on New Japan anymore? So let's get the big matches in while we can. Yeah, it's a good way to keep the New Japan Ring of Honor relationship going with the guys not being able to go over to Japan, but they can still be a part of New Japan strong. And we have, a, like I said, Flip Gorn v. Jay White. I can see that being a clear win for Jay White because I don't think it was, it was Chase Owens that took the pin in the tag match for Jay White, like former IWGP heavyweight champion. I think he needs a, a big win because obviously he's not been in the title picture since Wrestle Kingdom when he lost the IC title on the double gold dash. But uh, another big thing that's happening on the 4th of September, the New Japan debut of Darren Young which is not a, a sentence I thought I'd say out loud. Yeah, or as he's going by now, he's a, his actual name, Fred Rosser, Mr. No Days Off, is coming in and he's going to be testing skills in the Cerulean Blue. So it's going to be interesting. We, we have no idea who he's going up against. Um, so that's going to, uh, But that is one that I'm actually interested in because I've heard a lot of people saying that he's been doing some really great work in the Indies in America again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I actually really been hadn't really been keeping up with what he was up to since his like WWE departure. I know he's gotten in like amazing shape recently, and like just seeing like going through the announcements for the New Japan Strong Fighting Spirit Unleashed, like the article they put up on New Japan's website, scrolling to the bottom and suddenly seeing his picture, it's just like this is not something I was expecting to read today. Uh, I think he's maybe gonna get a strong like first win. Maybe one of the, over one of the dojo graduates, they can establish him before maybe getting him more into the mix of things. Maybe he'll go up against some of the other guys that they've been featuring because uh, PJ Black 
formerly Justin Gabriel has been featured heavily, or maybe they'll have a mix it up with some of the Bullet Club guys. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be because we don't know, is he going to come in as a face? Is he going to be a heel? That's It's completely... It's. I'm open to see how it goes. I'm very interested in it um, because you know he's he's got he's got a good work ethic. He can actually he's a solid in ring worker. So give him a chance. Let's see what he can do. Yeah, I think he's usually going to surprise a lot of people. Like I said, if he mixed up with like, the Bullet Club guys, I could see maybe rejecting an invitation from Bullet Club to join them because yeah, the Bullet Club are really more than not they tend to like try and recruit non-Japanese wrestlers because obviously they started off as a heel like Gaijin stable so like there's definitely many possibilities for what could happen with uh, him coming in but we'll take a wee trip back over to Japan where we had the big show at Jingu Stadium on the 20th, the big finale of the Summer Struggle Tour, first time in 21 years that they've done a big stadium show here in Jingu Stadium and I think we talked about only two people on this card were actually like wrestling on two people who wrestled on this card wrestled in that first card back in '99. And uh, I'm pretty sure they also said that uh, Tanahashi made his debut a few only a few months after that stadium show. So it just goes to show like how long ago this was. Yeah, I mean it's uh, they really bigged up there like the historical significance of the stadium show and. It was great to see sort of like getting a lot of fans in. The official attendance is listed as 4,710 people. And I absolutely loved the way it looked, like starting the show in the broad daylight. And then by the end of the end of the show, it was darkness with mm-hmm. the floodlights on in the baseball stadium. I, I, I did. I, I really dug the atmosphere. I thought it looked cool. And that was a, it was a good, a, a no filler show. No Young Lions matches, no multi-man tag matches, just straight in. Special singles match, then five title matches back to back. Loved it. Same here. I love the look of the stadium. I love. I hope they do more outdoor venues because I think you can. It's easier with regards to social distancing, that rather than people being all compacted and uh, like an indoor arena. Uh, like I think the New Japan. Some people in New Japan have said they want to do more outdoor shows. And like, even though like people are evenly spread out, and there are sections that don't look too full, like this year, I meant the people they were able to get in is an accomplishment in itself. And it's have it's great to see New Japan running shows like this when only a few months ago they weren't able to do any shows at all. And I was going to say you, but also you've already mentioned it. No filler whatsoever on this show. Six matches they kept it relatively short, like to the number of matches they were putting on, but. There was all. I don't think there was a dull match among them. Like you said, you start off with the junior heavyweight special singles match to really set the tone. You have Karamaru versus Master Watto. Because uh, obviously they've had these issues for months ever since Watto defeated ever since Watto defeated Doki back at the New Japan Cup final. And what was shocking to me was uh, Karamaru actually got the win over Master Watto. Yeah, I mean that was a um, that was a big surprise for me. I did not see that coming, and even the way that it came about, it just seemed so sudden. I was like, "Wait, wait, how did that happen?" That was it. It was it was very good showing for Watto, though. And at the same time, I, I'm kind of glad that it, it sets things up for a continuing story. 
the two of them are definitely not done with each other. You could see how frustrated Wattle was at the end of the match. Like he, he looked like he was ready to. The ref looked scared of him. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, turns on and and Wattle's corner as he often is. Because I, I like I've noticed with New Japan, the people have mentioned this before that when people come back from surgery, they get a push, but they're not overly pushed. Like they get a big win here and there, but then obviously they have a few losses, a few speed bumps to build them up before. They get like the rocket strapped to them. Definitely. I, I always like to think of Jay White as a good example of that. He came in, went straight for Tanahashi at the time, who had the IC belt, had the big king, the, the big match at the dome. But Jay White lost that. But look where he is now. The long term goal is still there. So for Wattle, I do see gold around his waist in the future. It's just, yeah. he's, he's just got to take his time and wait for it. It will happen. Yeah, because like Okada came in and within a couple months as the champion, but when he lost that belt back to Tanashi, it took him multiple attempts, almost a full year to get it back. So like, kind of the they push you, but then they stop pushing you, and then they push you again, kind of thing. And the thing with Wato was, I, I assumed he was going to get the win here because even though he's still early into his run back from excursion, nothing was really on the line in this match. But then again. Like I said, if he and Toguchi are in the finals of that tournament against Suzuki-gun, and you have a way to continue the story this time with Wild getting his first uh, title in New Japan, and I think it would make things look a lot... It would make things make a lot more sense, and uh, it would be kind of really good storytelling from New Japan. Is it just me that felt this match was weirdly a bit too short? No, I felt I felt that there was there was only two criticisms I had for this match, and that was one. It was it was definitely felt too short, seven and a half minutes. And second, it's a criticism not just to this match but everything lately. Those damn fake audience noises. It really oh. it sounds like something out of a bad video game. I'm like, what is going on here? Yeah, that that didn't work for me. I forgot almost forgot about this because I remember first hearing it on one of the last day uh, Corgan Hall shows before. They had this big stadium show, like because also they make up for the fact that fans can't actually make audible noise; they can only really clap or stomp their feet. Like it just, you just like, the fact that you're talking about it so much on commentary just makes it emphasizes how fake it actually is, and it just doesn't work for me. The only thing I did like about the stadium show is that live English commentary with Kevin Kelly and Chris Charlton, which means the same date comes out in the Japanese commentary. I can watch it. Uh, and not have to wait around a couple an extra day or so for the English commentary to go up. So I was able to basically quick turn around from watching this show to getting this podcast recorded. So uh, that was a big help for me. I mean, it was very impressive the fact that they were able to do that, and I like the fact you could see Kevin Kelly is clearly at home in America. Chris mm-hmm. Charles lives in Japan. They're literally across the ocean from each other, and they're doing commentary in unison. And I've missed it. I really have missed it. It was it was really good getting to see like hear the two of them because I've been following it as you know with the Japanese commentary. Mm-hmm. So I've been missing out the English stuff and it made me I was like, oh yeah, I forgot how much I actually really miss English commentary because Kevin Kelly is to me one of the best commentators in the business. He really is fantastic to listen to. He's so knowledgeable and really makes it interesting. Mm, and also being paired with Charlton, who knows a lot about Japanese wrestling, speaks Japanese fluently, is able to translate whenever. People are cutting promos, like, in, like uh, the winner of the main event did at the end. So you, you forget just how good their dynamic is. Like, And what I loved is you can clearly tell how happy they are to 
to be doing commentary again together, like live, even though obviously they're in different countries at the time of doing it. But going back to this match, yeah, I, I thought it was a bit short, and also the four-way that follows it, we'll get to that in a second, but the four-way was also a bit short. I think they were getting their first two matches getting out of the way before like, the major like, established titles were coming in, and they were given dedicating most of the time to those matches. I still thought this and the four-way could have done with a few extra minutes, and like as much as I still like after what Owen, like, I thought he looked equally as great in this outing as he did in his first singles match against Doki. Uh, the finish was so confusing. Like, while just uh, sorry, Cam, I just randomly grabbed his legs and rolled them up, and that was it. Like, even commentary seemed confused about how quickly the match ended. Yeah, that that sunset flip. I was just like, wait, how did that even? What just happened there? I, 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 my eyes were like struggling to follow what actually happened. And I was just like, wait a minute, you just rolled them up out of nowhere and got the win. Um, but mm-hmm. at, at the same time. Kanemaru doing that. Wato's frustrated and this is his chance to turn around and say, hang on, that was a fluke. Let's do this again. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's a case of like trying to show that Kanemaru is more experienced than him because they mentioned on commentary the issue that he has with Wato is that he's still so new and he's calling himself like the grandmaster. And so now basically he's basically showing up like, look, I'm smarter than you. I outsmarted you. If anyone's the master, it's clearly me. And then they're really setting the stage to continue this feud and the junior tag title tournament. And uh, I'm very interested to see what happens. I'm hopeful that my prediction about the final comes true because uh, I got it so wrong when trying to predict the New Japan Cup USA final. <laughs> oh, yeah, I mean, definitely. It's, this, this show was definitely one of many surprises for me. Um, I think I pretty much got almost every single match I predicted wrong. <laughs> <laughs> hey. Now we move on to the thing I've been most looking forward to talk about, the King of Pro Wrestling Tournament uh, to go in the first ever KOPW 2020 champion, a tale that will be vacated at the end of every year, and then we start again to to go in a new champion, and all the stipulations are voted on by fans. Uh, The qualifying matches on the 26th, uh, on the last shows before the big stadium show, uh, those were really fun to watch. You had it was Desperado v Kojima in a no finishers match. We had Okada versus Yujiro, Gechado, and Gedo in the three on one handicap match. A submission match between Sho and Sanada, and a two count pinfall match with Bushi and Niano. Like, these were all really fun to watch. Which one was your favourite out of the four qualifiers? Yano and Bushi, that was outstanding. That was just absolutely outstanding. I felt Snada and Sho was very good. I think the weakest of them was Okada and Yujiro. I wasn't really sold on that, but the other three all had something special about them, but in particular, Yano and Bushi, the shenanigans, the, the hilarity, brilliant fun. Yeah, I've never seen so many one counts in my entire life. Because like the quickness of having to kick out, realizing it's a two count rather than a three count in this match. Although one thing I would say about these stipulations is that clearly they didn't really fully figure out the rules, and that like Kevin Kelly was asking like, well, in this two count pinfall match, is the two count only the only way you can win, or can you still win by count or submission? Or like talking about the uh, the no finishers match. Then if this was a finishers like only match, 
would the Lariat and the Pinchy Local be the only ways to win or could you still have won by count out? So clearly they're in the early stages of figuring out how these matches are going to work. I definitely enjoyed the uh, Yano Boucher match. I think Yano definitely was, he, he knew he was going to go through it. He's kind of made for this type of title. Uh, what I think was common here, we look at the uh, each match for the candidate, maybe the exception of the Sonata show match, given that they basically both had the same idea, that everybody, but in each match, the person who selected the, the simulation that ended up winning actually won because the situation they thought of played into their advantage. So Okada wanted the handicap match, he won. Uh, Yano wanted the two-count match, he won. Yeah, and El Desperado wanted no finishers. Well, he originally wanted finishers and then went, hang on, he agrees with me? No, no, I'm going to be awkward. And <laughs> El Desperado managing to like pretty much get Kojima to hit the lariat. That was beautiful. Like Actually frustrating and points like, oh yeah, you just got yourself disqualified. Ha ha ha. Yeah, I was worried. They kind of it was almost on the verge of making Kojima look like an idiot at first, because like at one point he goes for the lariat and then stops himself, and the referee kind of gets out to him, basically saying like, "Oh, if you hit that, you're going to get DQ'd." And then later on, Desperado basically worked him up so much that he uh, he caused Kojima to hit the lariat, getting himself DQ'd. And because like before that, the referee was down, and Desperado tried to hit Kojima with the lariat while the ref wasn't looking, right before Kojima hits it. So basically, he, he did that purposely, he lulled them in, and it was very smart heel tactics from Desperado. Yeah, I mean, absolutely, really clever storytelling. It just worked so well. And I mean, the, the final four, the four way itself was, as we both agree, it's a bit short. You know, I felt it could have had more time to breathe, mm-hmm. but it did work very well to the individuals involved strengths. I had a lot of fun with it. Especially since it's a, a four-way match, I know they're rare, but like sometimes a four-way needs a bit more time. You give each individual person like a particular memorable moment in the match. Because I should say we're talking about the qualifier Sonata versus Show from a wrestling standpoint was probably the best. Whereas if you're looking for something more entertainment, like then probably the Yano Bushi match was the best. Because Kev Kelly even said on commentary during the Show Sonata match that. The KOPW title probably isn't one for the wrestling period, uh, for the wrestling period. But if there is going to be one match for the pure wrestling fans, it's going to be this one, the submission match. And he was really, he was right because that was a great match. It was probably even better than their second round matches from the New Japan Cup. And it made sense that Sonata would go through. And yes, yeah, so they had the light final lineup was Okada, Yano, uh, Sonata, and Desperado, and. It was interesting some of the weird alliances you've seen, like Sonata and Okada working together at one point. I loved that Yano got tied up in the Paradise lot, but before Sonata could kick him, he got, inter- he got interrupted. So for a good few minutes, then, uh, Yano was just sitting in the corner of the ring in the Paradise lock and can't get free. Yeah, that was, I was absolutely, I was in hysterics watching that. Just like I was like, is Yano ever going to get out of this? Is he going to be stuck in it? Um... I mean, it, it was it's all those little memorable moments. The the alliance between Snada and Okada, when Okada made it look like he was going for the Lig fist pump and then just went for Snada. I was like, "Oh, you sneaky shit!" <laughs> yeah, I like that. Too. I did like also the way that they broke up the fires lot. Where basically Snada got the shotgun drop kick from Okada and fell backwards into Yano, breaking up the the paradise lock. I think if anybody really didn't get much of a showcase. 
it was probably Desperado right up until the finish because it was Desperado that distracted the ref, which basically ends up costing him the match. He distracted the ref so he could try and get a low blow on Okada, but Okada kind of countered and caught him in the money clip. So then I just gave Yano the opportunity to low blow Okada and Yano gets the roll up and beats Okada to become the KOPW 2020 champion. Uh, I know initially we were talking about how oh, it's going to be Okada, isn't it? Because he came up with the idea. But when you actually think about it, and Kevin Gale even said this after Yano's qualifying match, that if anyone suits this title and the idea of coming out with your own unique stipulations, it's probably Yano. Yeah, and I mean, let's face it, now, if you had told me at the start of 2020 that Toru Yano would pin Okada, I would have not avoided it. I would have laughed in your face. But instead, I mean, that's it. Now, there can be no longer any arguments. Yano is the king of pro wrestling. So, therefore, if anyone asks you who the best wrestler in the world is, it is Toru Yano. He is the king of pro wrestling. That's it. The master thief himself has done it. <laughs> I mean, I love the idea that this is a perfect gimmick for him. Like, I know, obviously, we were kind of cynical saying, oh, it's going to be Okada, isn't it? But when you actually think about it, it's probably not soon Okada. I know he probably came up with the idea to create something different, but when you actually think about it, it probably wouldn't sit him that much in the grand scheme of things. But something I do something I do have to kinda of nitpick at. What the fuck is that trophy? I thought they'd have a big, decent, like sized trophy. But then I remember watching the show on August twenty sixth where they did the four singles matches to get in the fatal four way and then it cuts to the table and they see the wee trophy and it's fucking tiny. Like, I'm pretty sure the Slammy Awards are bigger than that. <laughs> I mean, I love you look at it. And it. It literally looks like like one of the Oscars. It's like the, like, it's like if they got the Oscar statue holding a toy wrestling ring above its head. It is. Honestly, it looks like more like when he gets the, t- like the, the, like the little title he should be like doing an acceptance speech more than anything with it. I was just like, what is that? It's tiny. You could then you'd hide that in your Yano could probably hide that in his bloody pocket or under his shirt it was that small like I know certain title belts are kind of heavy to carry around he could basically carry that around his back pocket I just I just, I could not believe it when I saw it I was like wait like usual Japan trophies are pretty massive mm-hmm. but this thing is it's like, like are they going to let them keep it at the end of the year and like make a new one for the next person Oh, it looks like somebody's art project, honestly. When you look at it, someone said, design a wrestling trophy. All right, here's a statue. Trophies have statues. Uh, let's put a wee ring on the top of a wee wrestling ring. Oh, well, that, we'll call that finished. But... It's like... And all... In all seriousness, though, uh, Yano, as the, as the champion, the first champion, is a, a wise decision. I want to see him hold all the way to the end of the year where they vacate it and then also they need to create a new champion. I think the idea of it being AK at the end of the year then maybe means that maybe the first champion of the new year, the new year may be a Wrestle Kingdom match, which I think would be a good idea because then again there's another guaranteed match at Wrestle Kingdom. And given the style of this t- championship, it would be a nice kind of palate cleanser if you put it between two big serious matches. I mean, it's 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 definitely something that it, it could definitely fit as a palate cleanser anywhere on any of the big cards. From what I've heard and gathered with the backstage comments and things like that, it sounds like Desperado wants the first shot at it. And 
I'll be honest, I want to see that match. I want to see Yano and Desperado because that Desperado's not not afraid to get down and dirty like shenanigans and stuff. So the two of them could really put on an absolute stormer of a comedy match. Like it really could steal the show. Mm, like I said, I would like to see Desperado get the title shot because I mentioned he didn't get much of a showing out of the four guys in the four way. So I'd be very interested to see because uh, also I want to see what kind of relations Yano's going to come up with and then once to come for his matches. And what's good about when you talk about a palate cleanser with a title, like the first three matches, you look at them all varyingly different. Like the first match, you got a junior heavyweight match. Next match, you got a four-way kind of comedy almost match. And then you've got a very serious, like, two guys because they're trying to beat the hell out of each other when you've got Suzuki challenging Shingo for the Never title. And in some respects, it was kind of similar to the Nagaya match where there's so many strikes being thrown. But the difference between this and the Nagaya match is Shingo is a lot faster than Nagaya. And we got to see some really fast-paced sequences in here. Like the counters, like the constantly countering the gotch pile driver. And like basically both guys seemed like they had an answer for everything. Yeah, I mean, this this was a match. I mean, I made it clear the last time this was a match that I was most looking forward to and it did not disappoint me. It was hard-hitting. The strikes it just echoed throughout that stadium. Like You just felt everything, especially the, it's those big two-handed chops that Shingo throws. Like Even Suzuki looks slightly uncomfortable. I'm like, wow, even it looks like he's getting hurt by it. That's a big hit. Yeah, because... More often than not, after like a big sequence, you'd see Suzuki laughing or smiling because this is bringing the kind of style that he enjoys. Because the, the Never Tales been sort of become the style of the guys who are basically the hardest hitters go for that belt. Uh, but there were moments where you could see him visibly like selling like how hard Shingo hit him in the chest because like Shingo's probably one of the hardest hardest hitters they've got right now. And I think Shingo definitely has to be an MVP of 2020 so far purely for the work he's done for that title. Yeah, I mean, he made it clear he wanted to be a fighting defending champion. And I mean, this was his fourth defence. And he absolutely went for it. I mean, the fact that he just went straight for Suzuki, got Suzuki outside and started throwing him about the place. I was like, you've got some some cojones on you, son. That is, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to throw down with him, Mike. Definitely not. Yeah, one of the few people that wouldn't be scared of Minoru Suzuki is, is Shingo. Because uh, like, you had points even where he kept trying to get him up for like, Last of the Dragon. You had Suzuki trying to basically claw at his eyes, constant reversals of like their main like signature moves. Uh, but inevitably, Suzuki manages to catch Shingo with the, kind of the sleeper, and you see him actually fading. Because after a few times, he, he keeps getting the arm up, but eventually he starts to fade. Suzuki finally gets the pile drive, and Minoru Suzuki is a champion once again. He's... Uh, He's, I think, a two-time now never open weight champion. And uh, all I can say is uh, good luck getting that belt off him. Yeah, exactly. Like, like Suzuki's reign of terror is about to happen all over again, and it is going to be absolutely devastating. As to who his first match is going to be, I have no idea. I mean, that's that was the thing with the with this show. It, it's Because we're so close to the G1, it's not setting up too many future matches because the G1 is probably going to be where we get it from. But my God, Suzuki is going to be terrifying. Even his last reign they had that belt was absolutely outstanding. It was one of the best reigns because he fought and it had some brutal matches. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like he had 
matches like Sagoto and I think Michael Elgin as well. And I can see him basically holding this belt till the Tokyo Dome. And it's just a case of like who you're going to get to to face them because I think we need some new faces in the Never Division. Uh, and like I said, Shingo, fair props to him for everything he did for that belt. This was his fourth defence, as you said. And so like very few champions get that far. And I'm interested to see what happens with Suzuki going forward with this title. Maybe we can see a, a rematch with Nagata at some point. But like I said, you can never count out what happens with the Never title. So even though Shingo had been so dumb as a champion, you look at Minoru Suzuki, I think at any time he, he feels like he should be a champion, he will basically take whatever belt he wants. So it was two of the more scary, more dominant guys in New Japan go up against each other, which made this match very unpredictable. Yeah, and I mean, the fact that it's open weight, I mean, we've talked to a few different people already, and I think talking about someone who wants to make a name for himself, and we know that he can hang with a heavyweight, I wouldn't I wouldn't mind seeing show against Suzuki. Oh, that is, that is very interesting, because they both have kind of pile drivers variations as their finisher, so basically it'd be a race to see who could hit theirs first. That would uh, be very interesting to see, because, like, obviously, she was probably going to have a, another single title opportunity. Now, uh, you was going to be out for the foreseeable future, as he said earlier. And, like, this next match that we're going to talk about, uh, this is a match that I thought was the most concrete, as you knew he was going to win. And even, I, I get, once again, I was wrong, because Taiji Ishimori dethrones Hiromu to become the new junior heavyweight champion, I thought. That Hiromu sure was going to hold up. He was going to get revenge on Ishimori for trying to take him out and kind of build him back up again after that loss at Sengoku Lord to Evil. But no, it just it just proved too much. So uh, Hiromu had to give up, and Ishimori is now a two-time champion. Yeah, I mean this this was um, this is a match that got me very very worried about Lij at this point because I was like, that is two Lij belts being dropped. I'm getting nervous here. <laughs> I mean. I, I think, again, maybe it's a bit of a common theme I'm noticing with these matches on this card was it was shorter than what I thought it would be. Only 13 and a half minutes. So, I mean, it, it wasn't anywhere near as long a match as what they've put on before with things like their best of Super Juniors final. But, I mean, it, it was absolutely outstanding. Like, Hiroma was not 100% going into this. They sold that so well in commentary, saying that he is not entirely all there for this. But I still thought he would have it. I thought he would pull it out, but no, no, my heart, my heart gets broken again. It was going to be hard for them to top that best of the Super Junior Finals. As much as they talked about it, I did like the similarities between the two that they mentioned on Conjure. Like they both won their first Junior Heavyweight titles at Wrestle Kingdom from from uh, Kushida, and that they both like faced Liger before Liger retired. Like uh, according to Chris Charlton, Ishimori said that. Uh, uh, Hiromu may have been one of the last people to pin uh, Liger before he retired, but Liger decided to retire after he stepped in the ring with me. So I, think, I thought that was just a great heel line, like Ishimori just banging himself up about how good he is that he forced Liger to retire because he beat him in a, in a title match. Uh, I, guess I think maybe the injury to Hiromu is what made it go a bit short, but I think they packed a lot in 13 minutes, as the junior heavyweights often do. And this is what I was mentioning earlier about uh, Ish- Ishimori being in that junior tag tournament and that I don't see him winning it, his team winning it, because I don't think Gato would 
put the tie belt on himself and also Ishimori's already got a singles belt. I think if anything, it could maybe set up a future title match, uh, maybe him versus Bushi or him versus Taguchi at some point, depending on what the outcome of their tournament match is. Yeah, I mean, um, Taguchi and Ishimori have, if I remember correctly, there was actually a title defence for Ishimori and it was against Taguchi and it was a fantastic match because it really sold the danger of Taguchi's ankle lock. And I mean, Ishimori as as a heavyweight champ, a junior heavyweight champ, he, he knows what he's doing, and I'd say he's he's possibly the fastest guy they've got in the roster by a mile. He is so fast; it's unreal. Like to try and keep up with him. He's he's very talented. Like I think, uh, he, I thought at first when we started doing shows again that he was kind of underrated. But he got a good showing against Okada, and he's made to be made to look like a right bastard. In this feud with Hiromu, and now he's got the bell again. And I'm looking forward to seeing what he does going forward. Now, I know Hiromu is in this junior tag team, and I think he's really just in there to help make up the numbers because the junior division is kind of lacking at the moment with who they've got available. But I'm wondering with the G1 coming up, and obviously, having to, they're probably going to have to get creative with who they can use for the tournament. I'm wondering is him dropping the bell after already challenging for the heavyweight title? against Evelyn competing in the Japan Cup. Is this maybe the beginning of Hiromu's move from junior to heavyweight? And maybe are they going to feature Hiromu in the G1 Climax this year? Yeah, I mean, there is there is all those questions because, I mean, there's been a lot more the lines between heavyweight and junior heavyweight get more and more blurred as the last year or so has went on. And I, I would prefer Hiromu stays in the juniors, but at the end of the day, they've got to do what is best for him. If that means that he goes into the G1 as an open weight sort of style where he comes in as a junior to make up the numbers, I get the feeling he's going to have a fantastic showing in it. I think, uh, sir. Yeah, I mean, for Ishimori, could he enter the G1 as the junior heavyweight champion as, well, who was the last person there? I think that was, I think it was Devitt was the last person to enter the G1 as a junior heavyweight champion or was it Osprey? It was, it was Osprey in 2019. I think he was the first person since David to do it. So I mean, there is. There, I mean, there's a president set before, and something tells me things aren't quite done between these two yet. They might simmer it down for a little bit, let the G1 take over. But I get the feeling these two will clash again by the end of the year. Yeah, I'm not saying that he's going to become like a full fledged heavyweight. It's kind of more speculation on my part. A could go in still as a junior heavyweight before, also as the year goes on, maybe trying to bulk up a bit to become a more heavyweight wrestler, kind of like Osprey, because Osprey was still classed as a junior when he entered before making the full-on move to the heavyweight division uh, earlier this year. And the thing with Hiromu, I think it's because also there's been so much support for him after he, he competed in New Japan Cup and got that title shot against Evil. But I think New Japan are maybe seeing that people want to see they don't want to mix that with the main, with the main eventers. They want to see them like mixing that with the main event scene and fight. Like, maybe there's like yeah, maybe they listen to the fans and then maybe if we give them more shot and the and the G one, but we take the belt off them so the junior heavyweight champion doesn't look weak losing to anybody because obviously he can't win every match in this round robin style. But yeah, I do think he needs more will face off again because. And they're and looking at who they've got available in the junior heavyweight division. In terms of singles guys, the two most reliable guys they have right now are Ishimori and Hiroma. 
Yes, I mean definitely. I mean, it was a it was a fantastic match. A lot packed into that thirteen and a half minutes. Again, my, it's probably my only common criticism throughout this whole show is some matches could have done with just an extra few minutes, especially with the juniors, because they would tear the place down with an extra three minutes. Yeah, it's weird to be complaining about like matches not getting a lot of time when you've got like a six match card and like the thing the show was like over two and a bit hours. So, like, I'm sure you could give them a lot of time. I'm not sure what the issue was there. Maybe also some of them, like, the, the main event, they wanted to give a lot more time to. And they gave quite a bit of time to, this next, to the next match, uh, where basically the success of Suzuki on this, on this night kind of continued. Because you had, I know Desperado didn't win the four-way, but you had Kamaru winning. You had Minoru Suzuki winning. And here you had the Dangerous Takers retaining the heavyweight tag team titles. Over Golden Aces, although Golden Aces looked a lot stronger here than they have in their previous outings against uh, Dangerous Tigers, they kind of had more faith going into this match. But honestly, after everything that's been happening over the summer struggle tour and everything, if I never see these two teams on the opposite side of the ring from each other for another year, then it would be too soon. Yeah, I mean, this has been one of the best rivalries going since like. Everything started back up again. The, uh, the Aces having their sort of crisis of confidence in the lead up to this when Tanahashi was kind of, oh, I'm, I'm too old, I'm struggling here. And Ibushi was just like, come on, you, you can pick yourself up, you need to do better. And Sabre and Taichi just antagonising them, like trying to convince Ibushi, it's like, come, join us, come to Suzuki Gun. You don't need that old fool, he's washed up, he's done. It was a great story, a great lead up, and the grudge match was you could you felt how much Ibushi and Tana wanted those belts back. Because mm-hmm. they like, seem to have an answer for everything that Dangerous Tigers basically threw at them because they've seemed to have the advantage for the majority of this feud. But then you had uh, Sabre Jr. try to get the jump on Ibushi at the start of the match, but they countered it. Uh, they did to both Taiji and Zack what they basically did to Tanahashi back at Dominion where they held one of them in place while the other got hit with a, a dragon screw leg whip. Uh, Taichi even tried to bring in the iron claw, but uh, Bushi kicked it out of his hand. And like it just, as they seemed like, they lured in to make it think like maybe the Golden just finally had everything at hand. And it was kind of Tanahashi that kind of cost them because they had one high five float on that decided to go up for another one. He misses it. And then they hit the uh, the Black Mephisto, the kind of double team version on on Tanahashi for the win. And the Bush just looks like he's going to get in, but Taiji manages to they kind of prevent him just long enough because it looked just for a second like he was going to push Taiji into his act to break up the pin, but he just wasn't able to get in. So like, if it just been a brief second quicker, uh, Golden Aces would have been able to break it up, but Tigers managed to kind of escape with the belts this time. Yeah, I mean, I love the fact they've they've, they've pretty much called that double team Black Mephisto as the Zack Mephisto, which I just think is a nice simple simple <laughs> twist to, to make it work. But I think one spot I loved in the middle of the match, because it was a big throwback to Madison Square Garden last year, and it's when Sabre had Tanahashi in that uncomfortable, horrible armbar submission, the one that pretty much made Tana need elbow surgery last year. And I thought, oh my God, is this going to be over already? And Tana managed to power through, and Ibushi was on the warpath. 
because yeah, Suzuki, sorry, because Abushi has like that look in his eyes where he goes to like an other, almost other places a few times in this match. Because there was one time where Zach had uh, Tanashi a submission, and Bushi gets Kyler grabs and just grabs Zach's arm to break it up, and then goes for like the Kamigoye. Like, he doesn't hit it, but just the casual and like kind of motionless face he has when he just casually comes in and just grabs Zach and goes to look, set up for like the knee to the face was very interesting. And I think obviously I don't foresee a new title feud being set up anytime soon. I think all four of these guys will be competitors in the G1. So I think all four of them will be focusing on that for the time being. And I think it'll depend on how well Bushi and Tanashi fare in the G1 that will determine like how much longer the Golden Aces remain a team. Well, that's... Um... That's where I did manage to catch the um, the backstage comments and what it did confirm, it did confirm one thing about the future of the Golden Aces. They are open to tagging again in the future, but at the moment, it's back to singles for both men. But it sounds like they're pretty much saying, it's like, you know, if you do good in the G1, we'll tag again. So so don't, don't expect to see them again together probably for the rest of the year as like a, a full-out tag team, but don't see it as being the door being closed. They will probably get back together at some point when the time is right. Yeah, you kind of had to think that the team was maybe temporary. And it was also they probably would have done a lot more with them had the pandemic not happened. But we're interested to see where both guys kind of go from here. I'm pretty sure they're both favourites when it comes to the G1. But something that will have major implications kind of for the G1 is the outcome of the main event, the double gold title match at Naito. Who talked about how he he actually came to the first stadium show 21 years ago as a fan, and now he's here in the main event. And he had evil, and like you mentioned earlier, it was finally night time by the time the main event ha- happened, so it really helped with evil's entrance. They talked about darkness falls as the prince of darkness is coming out to the ring with his two titles. He had uh, Dick Togo uh, by his side, as he always does. And it looks like at first Naito has an answer for Dick Togo because he just sends him flying at the ring. But then he gets smacked in the face with the heavyweight title by Evil right at the start of the match. And that gives Evil kind of the advantage going, up, going forward. What I will say about this match before we talk about the outcome is that this was definitely an improvement from the Dominion match. Yes, I definitely felt the match worked a lot better than their Dominion match. Um, it was definitely a more interesting match. The uh, Naito came into it a bit more, sort of a bit more what I was expecting him to be like. He was, he seemed focused. He seemed ready to go for it. And Evil, he just played the arrogant heel perfectly. Like he was ready to, to do that. Mm-hmm. It feels like they had time during the the tour to tell more of a story between the two before we got to this match. Because like the issue with the Dominion match is he turned the day before uh, at the New Japan Cup final, and we barely had time to process that before we got the match. And then suddenly, oh, uh, Evil's the double champion now. So, like, it definitely felt like there was more of a story being told. Because constantly cheating at every turn, whenever it looked like Naito was getting a, some offense, and they would go back to like their cheating, like using the exposed turnbuckle, which. I think they went to the well with that once too often because he had red shoes there kind of shaking his head disapproving at the use of the exposed turnbuckle but like 
I'm looking at it right, she's like, you're the referee, you can easily tie that, that turnbuckle pad back to stop him from using it. But like just standing there shaking your head is not going to change anything. He's still going to use it because he's a bad guy. Yeah, I mean that's it. There was there was definitely that like the 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 big supposed turn like turnbuckle spot was like right first time fair enough twice uh, three times all right now, now you're taking the piss like <laughs> just settle down. Um, I'd like I, I like to draw special attention to the fact that for once and they big this up in commentary the Lij boys did come out for once. Naito wasn't completely alone. Yeah, because he had uh, the referee getting taken out, and while he was there, he had uh, what, what I liked is uh, Sanada and Evil used to do the magic killer as their finisher, and so Togo and Evil hit Naito with the magic killer, and then out comes Boucher, which is fitting because it was a Boucher mask that Togo wore as a disguise when he first teamed with Evil. So, like, that's all coming full circle, and they mentioned that the, the LIG guys wouldn't come out. Because Naito told them to, they would come out on their own accord if they felt it was the right thing to do. Because like Naito and like Hiromu were before him, would basically tell him, "I don't need any help." And then so uh, Bushi basically comes off to see off Togo, but then uh, Gato comes in and kind of scratches the eyes, and then Sanada comes in. He was the one I was waiting for because like you still want to see uh, the resolution between Sanada and Evil, the former tag partners. And basically they see off Gato and. Uh, Togo, so now it's finally one-on-one. Evil can't rely on outside interference anymore. And with that, after a second uh, Destino, and really, it really got the flip, the rotation on that second one. Naito pins Evil and takes back the double gold. I'm sure you were delighted at this outcome, Grant. I was, I was absolutely. I mean, it's it's left me like completely in this sort of like a quandary of I'm excited, I'm glad Naito's got the belts back, but at the same time, I'm like, at what cost to Evil, you know, they had the big swerve, big huge, oh my god, Evil's betrayed the first person to betray LIJ, and then he's dropped the belt on only second defence. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, I'm like, part of me is like, did they just drop the belt from Naito just to get the big stadium show reaction when he got it back? Or was yeah. it... Or, or was there something else? Is there something else at play there that is going to come into it? Because right now, New Japan is so unpredictable. But yeah, I was buzzing to get that beautiful image at the end of Naito lying there in the tranquil pose with the fireworks going off. One of the best images ever. I think they were always planning on having Evil turn on LIG eventually. They were even teasing it as early as last year's G1. So I think they needed to have the payoff to that eventually. And I think when they came back from the pandemic, they thought, made a moment that will get people talking. So let's put the belt on Evil. And when they, they probably had to realise it's quite a long time in advance, they had to get the stadium. They probably were planning that for quite a while. So they thought, OK, let's have this big moment. Uh, Evil kind of being this big threat with the title and we'll build to the rematch at Jungle Stadium. So I, I do think Evil's title reign was really a means to an end to have this big match at Jinju Stadium, they wanted a personal like rivalry, and they thought the idea of like splitting evil away from the faction would would maybe be a way to do that. Yeah, it does suck, but also he only got it for like a, a, a month or so. But and it really helps Naito because they said at the end when he did his big promo that he got the moment here after regaining the belts that he didn't get to have at Wrestle Kingdom because obviously he was cut off by Kenta, so he got that moment again. 
It's all about how, he, how bad Nigel felt after losing the tie, after both belts, uh, after only his second defence, and how his first title reign also was in his second defence after he lost the back to Okada in 2016. So now it's basically the idea of he, he's here in the big stadium, he's got that moment, and now he can finally have probably a decent length run now where he can defend it a couple, at least a couple of times. He'll probably hold both, literally probably hold the world belt till wrestling and we'll probably drop the SC belt before then. But yeah, I think they were looking at the idea of a moment of Naito celebrating with both belts at the new stadium, but I think they felt well, it would be more shocking and more triumphant if he had to lose the belt. Again, a long-winded version of what I think was going to them, so we'll probably never know for certain. Yeah, and I mean, I've been I've been following everything since Naito got the win. They had the press conference today where they come where they talked about the whole well, the, the junior tag tournament, but they also, when Naito was asked about the belts, he said he wants New Japan and the chairman to make the call, are the belts unified or not, because he wants to defend them both separately, even if that means wrestling two title matches in one tour. He knows it's a tough schedule, but he wants to make himself a fighting champ for both belts. And I think they can use that as a way to separate the two, because he's going to bite off more than he can chew. It was nice that he got that moment at the end to like pose with all the fireworks going off and everything. And what I'm, what I'm interested in here is I was looking at this match before I thought about who I thought was going to win the G1 because if Evo was still champion, then I was going to be like, okay, it's definitely going to be Sanada. Evo v Sanada, main event, Wrestle Kingdom. But now that Naito's won, I have no earthly idea who they're going to have won the G1 because I don't think Evo's going to win it, because I, I don't think he's done in the main scene, but I do think for now he's not going to be a tail contender. I think maybe he'll challenge whoever wins the match, wins the G1 for their briefcase, and he'll get quite far in the tournament, but I don't see him as the champion anytime soon. I can see maybe him winning the IC belt from Naito, because we said before that Naito originally was only going to defend both belts against people he respected. So maybe he can say, I've lost respect for you after everything he's done. I'll give you an IC title shot and Evil wins the IC title. And then he and Sonata can have a match at Wrestle Kingdom for the IC belt. And we can get them what we've, all, we've been waiting for for far too long, a, a singles title for Sonata. Yeah, I mean, I definitely think those those could be options. There's, there's so many things they can do with this. And I know where I want it to go. Um... As long as Okada doesn't win the G1, that's my, that's my main thing this year. <laughs> yeah, there's only so long you can rely on the likes of Sanada and Tanahashi. Even if Ibushi won it for a second time, like it would, I would, I'm not entirely sure how it would feel. Like Maybe you can tell that story of Ibushi wanting to make up for last year's failure. And also we know how good Naito and Ibushi are together. Like As much as they have a weird fondness for dropping each other on their head, that aside, they put on great matches together. And obviously at time recording, the full G1 Climax like lineup of competitors hasn't been announced yet. And like we know the dates of the full tournament, when it's going to start, when it's going to end, all the shows in between. We don't know when, who's going to be involved in it. That's just going to be very interesting. Uh, something else we should mention, I forgot to mention it on our last show, is that apparently, much like in the New Japan Cup, where they basically... Each night of the, tur- of the tournament was kept quite short. It was just the tournament matches and one extra match. Uh, in terms of the G1, 
we're not going to have what we usually have where we have like A block matches and people in the B block competing in tags and then vice versa on a different night. It's going to be basically one night is all just A block matches, just the people competing in A block. And then another night is just all people competing in B block. And basically that's to do with the idea of social distancing and only using a certain amount of the roster, which I think is very smart. Yeah, I think it's going to be clever. It makes it easier to follow because, like, I've done the math and it went. But if you were doing it like the normal way, for a lot of people, it's it's hard to keep on top of because it's like over 150 matches over 19 nights in in thir- within 30 days. It's a huge undertaking. So they're doing the right thing by like minimizing the amount of matches, keeping it straight to the point, simplifying it. I'm I'm just excited for the G1, regardless of how it has to go down this year because it is going to be a completely different ball game but I'm excited for it yes definitely we are going to be back in a couple of weeks time to look at uh, to preview everything that's going to happen at the G1 we're going to be here right before the first like show of the the G1 I believe it's on the 19th this uh, year September 19th is when it starts we're going to have a, try and have a show out before then where we can uh, preview uh, the lineup, and hopefully by then we'll know the lineup and the matches that we're going to get on particular days. We're basically going to give our preview, our thoughts, who we think is going to win the uh, the tournament, what we think the best matches are going to be, and knowing us, the day we upload this, they're going to announce the full bloody lineup. <laughs> yeah, it's usual New Japan's way of doing it. It's like they know we're about to go and record something and say, "What can we do to go and mess about with those Scottish boys?" Yeah, because like we recorded this, and then the, and then we released it a few days later, like back in our February episode. But by the time we uploaded it, everything in March that we've been previewing got cancelled because of the bloody pandemic. So if it's not one thing, it's another. <laughs> uh, always, always fun and games keeping on top of New Japan. <laughs> yeah, as as uh, I can, I do think we can both agree that the Jingu Stadium show was like probably one of the best shows of the year not just from New Japan but just in general I think so far because like there's no filler and I think every match in its own way delivered yeah I mean the stadium show it was definitely it was great for me and it was it was kind of maybe maybe some would say short but I think in this day and this current climate I think that's part of the reason as well they don't want to keep shows on too long they want to keep people apart social distancing so I think at the moment to the point shows are going to be the thing going forwards and they they absolutely hit it out of the park like they really nailed it perfectly yeah I do think they can it's proves again that they can do like larger venues again like whether indoor or outdoor just basically spreading people out and I'm, I'm interested to see if this goes on all the way till right Wrestle Kingdom with the idea of the pandemic because you all wonder what a socially distanced Tokyo Dome crowd will look like in such a massive venue because it already looks like there's already so many people crammed into a wrestle kingdom, but the idea of seeing people basically being having to be spaced out inside the Tokyo Dome would be a very unique sight to say the least. Yeah, there's definitely some exciting stuff to come from that, and it's it, but it is going to be weird because I don't foresee there being full capacity crowds even in January. So how we'll do it, I do not know, but I'm interested to see how it turns out. I'm very interested to see how it turns out as well. And hopefully you all are as well as you follow along with us here on East Meets West. You're on Suplex, Retweet, 
and we hope you're following us at Superbytes Retweet hey, on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram to keep up with when this show is going to go out, all the new changes we're making to kind of the lineup on a weekly basis and uh, hopefully you'll stay, they'll stay tuned you'll still subscribe to us on all good Android podcasts Anchor, Spotify and iTunes we're still there on the main feed just maybe very soon the extra feed will probably be going away as we blend kind of the two together and we're getting rid of some shows for continuing this show and Saturday Night Live in a month and many others and hopefully you'll follow along with us again still here on East Meets West because we're getting into the G1 season uh, we're going to have that preview in a couple of weeks time and I think looking at the lineup, uh, there's no real clear gap between shows where we can do another episode so I think we're going to bite the bullet and just wait, watch the full tournament before doing the next episode after that because I don't think I can't see any big gap where we can probably do an episode in between. No, it's definitely going to be a bit of an obstacle trying to squeeze a, an extra one in the middle of all that. <laughs> yeah, we're going to have to bait the bullet look back at the full tournament in that one episode. Not every single match, but like we're going to try and do some sort of re- recap or retrospective on this year's G1. So we'll stay tuned, everyone. Like, the level is going to be very interesting because the G1 is the most, one of the most exciting times of the year in New Japan, and I can't wait for it, and I know Grant can't wait either. Uh, it's it's like Christmas for me every single day, over and <laughs> over. Perfect. Uh, it very much is. Uh, but until next time, we thank you for listening to East Meets West, and we'll see you next time.